I just love the creation process where you start with your raw ingredients and you end up with something hopefully delicious and beautiful and if you can make it as healthy as possible too yay <laughs> Welcome to the Lush Life Podcast. I'm your drinking companion, Susan Schwartz, and I bring you the how-to guide for living life one cocktail at a time. Thanks to my mother's love of martinis, the first words I spoke were shaken, not stirred, and I've been obsessed by cocktails ever since. Together, we'll learn from bartenders, brand ambassadors, distillers, and others why certain drinks are popular in certain cultures, how to make the perfect old-fashioned, when to shake and when to stir, and so much more. Hear that sound? It's time to cozy up to the bar and let the fun begin. Sometimes, I sip something that a drink's do and immediately need to meet the people behind it. This time, that cocktail was Silver Swift's ready-to-drink Wild Rose Gin at the Spirit Show in London. It was fortuitous that Rose Unwin, the founder of Silver Swift, was the one holding the bottle. A few months later, when I could lure her into London from the wilds of the Southwest, she sat down with me to reveal her secrets. I was born and brought up in Devon, in the deepest depths of the southwest, um, on the edge of a little village called Ufcombe. Um, it was a really rural upbringing. We had dogs and ducks, and there was a scruffy pony around. And um, the, I had two brothers, uh, so my mum chose not to work, so it made more financial sense. My dad was the breadwinner. Um, I went to school in Devon. Um, we used to make cider. Actually, we had a few cider apple trees, which was super cool. Um, so we did that every autumn and got loads of friends and families over to help make it. So I've always loved um, the process of making something from raw ingredients. Um, and my dad runs a food manufacturing company. So he would often come home with samples from the lab that he'd been making with a client and say, what do you think of this? What, what kind of, of food? Um, so they're like sauces and butters and crumbs. So the best way to describe it is his company is the in-between stage from if it's a meat product, like the abattoir, for example, and the supermarket shelf. So if you bought a steak, let's say, with a pesto butter pats on top, Dad's company would have made the garlic butter, like the garlic pesto butter. Um, or a sea bass, fill it with a rocket crumb, that kind of thing. Again, that would be his company. Was he a good yeah. cook? Um, him, so-so, but my mum is a qualified chef. She went off to Cordon Bleu in France to train. So we were really, really lucky because growing up, we we're exposed to all sorts of amazing flavors and tastes. And I guess she yeah. was kind of pre the craze of farm to table. She was probably just because you lived in the country. Yeah, so everything was probably it farm was, to table. Totally. I mean, mum's always taught us to cook from scratch, and we didn't have very many artificial sort of pre-packaged food at home. I think the odd packet of crisps, fizzy drinks only came out at birthday parties. So generally, it was. You meat, fish, veg, and some potatoes or something like that, but cook beautifully. Was she making yeah. French food or was she making her um, version of English food? That's a good question. There was a lot of French food, especially in her desserts. But I think as health and education started becoming more prevalent and we realised eating lots of cream, lots of cheese and butter, 
not so good for you every day, maybe as a treat. Um, so actually became a bit more British and Mediterranean, I would say. Yeah, which is how I tend to eat these days with a lot of Mediterranean food, fresh fish. Now, now, in Devon, the school, yeah. was it one of these tiny country schools and you knew everyone or was it a pretty big school? Um, well, my early school was, yeah, tiny. It was full of, like, the postman's kids and the local butcher, baker, candlestick maker, as they say. Um, and then, I actually, I moved to an independent school, which I got a sports scholarship, which really, really helped. And that was amazing because I'm a sports nut. Which... Was there a special sport that you excelled in? Oh, that's a topical question. And I was talking to somebody about this at the weekend. Um, so I'm not deflecting. I'll come back. But I loved all sports. And each term you would play a specific sport. So in the winter term it was hockey. Then it was netball and cross country. Then it was tennis and athletics in the summer. Um, and I loved them all. And I don't really know where it comes from. Because I'm not from an especially sporty family. But I did quite well at it. And it, all those sports I played at county level, most regional. And actually two or three I got to national level, which was super cool. But I can never I can never narrow down and specialise. And as anyone who's really, really sporty, a lot of you have the dream to go to the Olympics and represent your country one day. And at the weekend someone was asking me, Hey, do you think you would have been good enough? And the answer is I don't know, because I couldn't narrow down. I just loved all the sports. And that's why I went to that school on the sports scholarship, because Ah, oh, the opportunities and the facilities were amazing. Did was it yeah. far away from where you lived? Not too far. So you didn't have 15, to board anything. No, there was the option, and occasionally I might do because it had Saturday school, which was a bit of a bore. Like, would rather be out, I don't know, playing or on the beach or something like that. Um, so sometimes we boarded on a Friday night, um, and then I went to a sixth form college, so I had even more time to play even more sport, <laughs> <laughs> which suited me down to the ground. Yeah. No, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Now, are, you, are you still doing sport? Um, yeah, I, I am. I love, at the moment, I'm really, really into my triathlon. Um, oh, I've boy. done a couple of half Ironman competitions, which is super cool. Um, they take me on average about five and a half, six hours. So it's quite quite a slog. But I really enjoy the, the, cha- the mixture of the physical and the mental challenge. And I'm kind of intrigued. Sounds a little psychophantic but to find out where my wall is like my mental wall um so I'm kind of thinking always thinking about the next adventure and what can I do and just a few weeks ago we did the three peaks challenge in 24 hours which was super cool the sleep deprivation is the hardest bit to tackle but walking up and down the mountains that was that was okay I was good with that so in between working you Mm -hmm. train you must train for these things right yeah yeah I do so I probably train five or six days a week um, running, cycling, swimming, spinning, weights. I, got, I was introduced to weights a few years ago, but not too much. I don't want to get too bulky, but <laughs> there's a place for them. Yeah. So were you always mm. eating and obviously you were eating and drinking? That's a silly question. But I mean, yeah. did you have your eye or were you thinking about food as a career or drinks um, as a career? No, not until two years ago, actually. So my career path, if I go back, I suppose, to college years... I applied to go to uni. Um, I was offered a hockey scholarship to a couple of places. Um, and I was going to do some weird mix of like maths, mechanics and French. I love French and I thought it would be cool to be bilingual. Um, but I didn't go because we had this family horse, which was basically like a pet that turned out to be reasonably talented. And I took a gap year and I went and trained with um, a lady called Jane Holdness Rodham who is the maid of honour, 
like princess in waiting to princess Anne. Um, and it was a hell of an opportunity. So I was like, oh, I'm going. I'm going for two months. I'll learn loads. Um, and I loved it. And I did some of the under 21 trials on this scruffy family horse. And we we did all right. Like We did quite well and turned the eye of the selectors. So I thought, I want to give this a go. So I deferred uni by a year. Um, they were cool with that. Um, carried on eventing. And then I deferred a second year and they said, do you not, Rose? You're either coming or you're not. And I said, okay, fine. I can always go as a mature student. So I actually ended up riding professionally for five years um, and building up like a, a portfolio of private owners, syndicates and corporate sponsors. And it was super cool. It's very dangerous though. So I broke a lot of bones. Uh, there were a lot of injuries, um, but my God, it was great. And I did a few internationals. Um, but then in 2008, during the credit crunch, all of my sponsorship just vanished within a few weeks, um, which I totally get corporate hospitality sponsorship is not essential you know within a corporate budget um so i either had to go and win the lottery and somehow find a, i don't know a million to keep me going for many many years i think because those horses are so expensive to run mm. each year um or i actually had to just rethink my life and actually i thought i want to have a pension <laughs> i want to older <laughs> i don't want to be full of arthritis by the time i'm 30 um and it was great, but I kind of wanted a, a bit more to life and to have the opportunity to go and buy a house later, etc. And you don't earn any money in horses, really, unless you're in the racing world. Um, so at that time, I'd met my now husband, and I moved to Bath to be with him, and I fell into the corporate world of recruitment. And I worked for this huge global company called Michael Page um, for five years and I didn't know what I was doing the first six months but they had an amazing training program um, they took me out of smelly scruffy jeans and jodhpurs and put me in a suit and taught me how to pitch and influence and I learned about finance so I specialised with accountants and corporate finance um, and that was great um, it was a hell of an adjustment I know I was just going to ask did you ever just want to run away and say wait a sec I've got to be outside again yeah the first few months I felt like a caged lion because we were up in this modern office with all these like the, the walls were all glass really really high air conditioning so you couldn't even open a window so you just feel like a goldfish up there mm -hmm. um, but most people work in an office job so I just had to kind of suck it up and had to do something mm -hmm. like I've always been independent and since 18 <clears throat> stood on my own two feet so it paid the bills and I was learning new skills um and in my fifth year I managed to get to regional manager um and I had three teams and ran the southwest so that was really cool um and there are loads of merits and the money was good but actually long long term I don't think it was sustainable for me because I was working massive hours and I actually, I burnt out the year of my wedding. Um, I was pretty fatigued for a couple of months. I wasn't well, very well Well, to work and plan a wedding is, is pretty, yeah. pretty full on anyway. Yeah, it was. And then add to that um, my triathlon training. I was doing, I was getting up at like 5 a.m. to train. Is that when you started my, doing triathlons? Yeah, in the corporate world. Mm -hmm. So something had to give and hence the burnout. Um, but I thought, you know, like long term getting married, if we're going to have a family one day, how do you do this as a mother? You know, and I just thought it's, it's impossible. So actually, I left in 2015, had some savings, um, and then I worked for a tech startup for a year, and oh my God, that was super exciting. There were like four or five of us in the team, 
I worked really closely with the founder, chief exec, who I knew well from a previous life. And, and I worked with her on her pitches for Silicon Valley. Um, and I just loved it. And being directly at the coalface and everything you do has an instant value and impact on the business. Um, I thought oh, this would be great. I'd love to run my own business, but I need an idea. Um, and it's then, a great thing that you like that. Yeah. Because if you didn't, <laughs> we wouldn't be here today because you would have started your own company. You know, you would. Yes. True. It would have been such the wrong decision. Thank goodness. Yeah. Because yeah. well, it's not, I suppose it's not for everybody. People talk about, oh, you're either a wage slave or you're crazy risk taker setting up your own company. There are pros and cons to both styles of living. Um, but I'm not surprised considering you were a risk taker anyway, riding the yeah. horse and being, you know. I guess, yeah, I guess show so. jumping and all of that. Yeah, I like the adrenaline uh-huh. um, and a healthy amount of pressure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but the idea for Silver Swift came to me when I was on a plane. So I wanted a gin and tonic. And actually, this was before premium gins had made it onto planes. Um, so I won't mention the gin that was available, but anyway, it was like a massive industrial household name, one of the low, like lower end ones. Um, and they probably had um, a fairly generic low end tonic too. And I was thinking, wow, we've got all these amazing gins back home in the UK now. Um, why, why, why haven't they made it into premix format? Why aren't they on planes? Um, I still wonder that with some of the things. Yeah, yeah, I know. And in some, still in some bars and retail outlets. Um, so I started actually to think about setting up my own gin brand. But the decision I made two years ago is I thought the bubble already was so saturated. And there's so many gin brands that I thought unless you have something super unique like the quinoa vodka or these color changing, sorry, gin, quinoa gin, or the color changing gins that have come through, it's going to be a, a tough, tough mm. gig. Um, so I then started researching the what they call the RTD market, ready to drink. And... There are one or two household names in the more premium space, like the Bloom Fentimans mix, which are lovely. Um, but a lot of the other brands are generally in the can format, and they're full of um, preservatives and artificial ingredients, sugar. Um, they lack craft and artisan spirits too. So I kind of saw an opportunity. Uh, and when I was working for this tech startup, in my evenings I did months of research I think about six months of research and I built this business case, showed it to my brother, my husband, my dad, and I was like, I really think there's something here. And I studied the US market. They tend to be about five years ahead of us. Um, and it was booming. And the RTD, the ready to drink market, was recording double digit growth year on year. Um, and pre-mixed cocktails, the market was worth about 50 million three years ago. And they think that's <clears throat> gonna grow tenfold by 2020 which is bananas if that does happen. So let's hope. Let's yeah, hope. fantastic. Okay. Yeah. Um, so for me, I wanted to create a pre-mixed brand of drinks using lovely British ingredients. So all of our flavours are British fruits and herbs. Like You'll never see a pomegranate or a passion fruit flavour because there's so much to celebrate here in the British Isles. And also, um, I care a lot about the environment and I want to keep food miles to an absolute minimum where possible like I love buying eating locally um so I went out before I resigned from my job and I started chatting to some of the British spirit suppliers just literally approaching them on their contact us page or LinkedIn um and their response was really good um especially from the gin companies because it's saturated 
So any point of difference for them to get their brand into a different channel is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of them wanted to do it as a joint venture and collaborate. But I thought if you saw a well-recognized logo on our bottles, that's what you would remember and not our brand. So we need to build our own brand equity, which is why you don't see Mm -hmm. any other names on here. But we do openly talk about our supplier. And the supplier we picked in the end is Britain's in Yorkshire. Um, And they are amazing to work with. Um, The vodka we use is five times distilled. And it took the Silver Award at the International Spirits Challenge last year um, out of 1,500 entries. So they showed those Russians and Polish vodka makers. And you had met them before (laughs) that. Uh, Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. So did you go with your own knowledge of gin and vodka? Or did you, you know, your own tongue, I guess? Did you taste it and say, oh, I think this is the one for me? Yes, yeah. There was a lot of tasting. So the decision came down to taste, the relationship, and price, of Mm -hmm. course. Um, And I'm all... You've got to pick... You've got to work with people that you get on with. Um, Like, the business relationship is so important. Um, And and they were great. They were so open. Um, Did you feel that you knew enough then? Um, Obviously you did, but I mean enough to you know pick the right one for your product was your That's palette a really good question. um, um I, what makes me qualified to make that decision is how i'm kind of reframing it i'm not a connoisseur i'm not a critic a judge um i worked in a pub but i've never been a mixologist or bartender but i do make a lot of drinks and syrups and cocktails at home so i suppose the decision i made was based on my own mm-hmm. personal taste and palate um so it's a good thing that generally people love what we've done um so you've always had this um it's kind of a hobby of making drinks at home yeah and like you've been doing that for a while yeah my hubby and i are quite social and we we throw quite a lot of parties yeah so i'm always making the drinks um oh i'm cooking too yeah i better speak to him about the division of labor there <laughs> um but i i i don't know i just love the creation process where you start with your raw ingredients and you end up with something hopefully delicious and beautiful. And if you can make it as healthy as possible too, yay. (laughs) Do you think you went for the healthy option because of your love of sports and being outside as well? Yeah, definitely that's the personal motive. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I drink less than I used to, but when I do drink, I want to, like a lot of people, I trade up to drink like a really beautiful glass of wine or a lovely gin and tonic for example um i started drinking organic wines too and i find even if i just have one glass i feel much clearer the next day so with silver swift i wanted to use 100% natural ingredients like no preservatives no artificial sweeteners colors etc um because i want it to be as clean and pure as possible so like the britain's vodka being five times distilled that's really helpful because it's so super pure um, I'm not going to encourage anyone to binge drink, but what I would hope and expect is that if someone did drink a lot of Silver Swift in a row, they would probably feel a lot better the next day than they would do on anything with artificial ingredients and sugars and perhaps like lower-grade lower spirits too. Yeah. Well, let's backtrack for a second. Yeah. So you had this idea. Yeah. Okay, of the ready-to-drink market. Um, where did you see your next steps going? Did you have a name already? You know, did you know exactly the flavors you wanted? What was that process? Um, So I started off, actually, 
with Wild Rose as my preferred business name. Wild spelled with a Y instead of an I, so it's like ye old English. And I tried to trademark it, but I literally, by half a day, was beaten submitting my application by an English sparkling wine company. Um, That's crazy. I know. I say everything happens on one day. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, you're so right. Um, And let me tell you, I was was pretty distraught by that. I felt like a real kick in the teeth. I hadn't even, like... The start gun hadn't even gone. It was like I was on the start line tying up my shoelaces and someone had pushed me over. I was like, oh, Jesus. Um, But actually, it turned out to be a blessing in disguise because Wild Rose is lovely for many reasons. Like, the rose is the British national flower. Um, It grows in the wild arguably better than it does in cultivation. It's my name. Also, there was, like, it symbolised me leaving the corporate world, setting up my own business, like, going rogue, going wild. Going wild, Uh uh-huh. However, it is more of a female name. Um, So Silver Swift, which was my second choice, is more gender neutral. I think it's more memorable too. Like I've done some reading around brand names with alliteration. So the first and second words start the same letter. And subconsciously, apparently, they they entrench themselves more in your memory. Um, So (laughs) hopefully, hopefully that's the case for us too. Um, but the reason why I chose Silver Swift is because Swifts are little country birds. They're migratory birds. So I like to think that reflects some international expansion for us in the future. Um, <clears throat> but they're always on the go. And to me, this reflects modern society these days. And the amazing thing about them is that they eat, sleep and mate in the air. Like they sleep in the air. Um, and the longest... Uh, airborne swift ever recorded stayed in the air for 10 months without landing so anyway I saw that as a reflection for the way we live with our smartphones 24 hour gyms, 24 hour supermarkets we all suffer from time famine and because these drinks are pre-mixed, ready to go but bar quality, they're perfect for busy consumers on the go and that's where I came up with the hashtag as well, swift serve and I thought silver just sounded pretty (laughs) another trip yes exactly yeah uh so that was the name behind it so you got that you thank thank goodness no one chose that name yeah on the same day and we got the trademarks and then did you go with rose immediately as a a flavor profile um yeah i did i i really wanted to have a rose flavor in there um in order to position the range as a really sophisticated rtd brand I wanted a hero ingredient to feature in each drink. Um, and I really don't want this to be something that gets put in the same like grouping as Hooch or Smirnoff Ice and WKD, which are all great drinks, but they have their place and they're generally more uh, orientated with the student drinking market. Um, so roses are a lovely, sophisticated flavour. It's very floral. Um, it's like a country garden flavour. Um, basil, I love. Um, and basil works really well in drinks. Um, I actually like. There's been a couple of tonic brands that have brought out basil tonics in the last year or two as well, and they I think they're great. Um, iced tea I love, um, and I noticed um, the iced tea market in the UK has grown low. So in the states, it's amazing. It's it's like, in fact, it's six times as big as over here. Um, and I tried an alcoholic iced tea in a bar. I think it was in London, actually in Camden, a couple of years back, and it was amazing. It stuck with me how good it was to have the smokiness of the Earl Grey. Um, And although we can't grow tea here in the UK, 
Earl Grey is quintessentially British and associated um, with something we do at tea time. Yes, maybe yeah. because it's getting hotter here. Or I mm. mean, when I first moved here 15 years ago, I'd ask for nice tea and people would say, how can you drink that disgusting stuff? Mm. You know, it's definitely something that I grew up drinking. Yeah. Being American. Um but now no one poo-poos me anymore. Good. And they're, yeah, yeah. sure, we make it, yeah. we make it with this, and there's specialty iced teas, and it's, you know, maybe it's globalization, it's I don't True. know, maybe it's warmer, but definitely yeah. it makes me happy to see any iced tea drink. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd say, um, although the the range really splits people on what their favourites are, I'd say if I had to hang my hat on the front runner so far this year, it would be tipsy iced tea. Um, and that's the gooseberry elderflower and Earl Grey drink. It's lovely. Yeah. So in the two years that you've been doing this, is it um, two years? Planning it. But I mm-hmm. I resigned from my job last June and we launched the company in December 2017. Okay. So seven months of training, All right. but just under two years of thinking about it, planning. Um, so you had this wonderful product. Mm-hmm. Where did you go first? Did Amazon. (laughs) Really? Yeah. I mean, I probably didn't launch at the best time of year. Mm -hmm. I mean, well, it was December, so it's Christmas, but we didn't have any time to build any PR or create buzz to let Mm -hmm. people know our products existed. So the only people that were buying Silver Swift in December were friends and family. Um, But I wanted to get it online ASAP so people could. Um, And that was great because it was actually quite a good first month and then suddenly the sales dropped off for a few months before we could get building our b2b customers Mm -hmm. um so amazon was a quick route to market like out of the blocks um and we we thought we would sort of cut our teeth and grow our confidence in the southwest so in the cotswolds where we're from um and build up our independent stockists we've learned a lot because um i've approached all the different sales channels, like retail and on-trade, and specifically in the on-trade, I've tried restaurants, bars, hotels, and pubs. And what I've learned is that every sales channel is relevant and loves what we're doing, really apart from restaurants, because still when people are eating, they tend to order wine. Maybe beer, if Mm -hmm. you're having a curry, potentially, but fruity drinks like this, there's a place for them as an aperitif, but if someone's going straight in to a, I don't know, gastro pub or restaurant, often they'll go straight for the wine, potentially. Um, And then bars, because you've got these amazingly trained mixologists who are making the drinks from scratch. Um, Although what I would say to that is that if someone's driving or they don't want to drink so much these days, they don't necessarily want a cocktail with two, three or four shots of booze. Um, So to have this in the fridge and bring it out is something with a more complex flavour palette because there are three or four ingredients in each one. So it's more, got more going on than a gin and tonic, but it's a shot and a quarter, 5%, 1.3 units. So you could have one and, you know, an hour or two, a couple of hours later, drive, mm. or if you just, you don't want to drink less. It's still appropriate. Um, so now in July, wow, July, um, we've got almost 40 stockists. And a lot of them are lovely delis, farm shops, cafes, lots of pubs um, that can't serve cocktails because they don't know how or they don't have the ingredients. So this, again, is um, something a little bit more exciting than a glass of wine or G&T, both 
drinks that I love, but it's just something different. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got listed by Partridges last, last month here in London, off Sloan Square, so that's really, really cool. Um, and my next step, now that I know the branding is working and the flavours are right, and I did a, a tiny tweak just recently on one flavour, um, I'm taking it kind of to the next level up. Like, I would love to be in somewhere like Fortnum & Mason's um, or Harvey Nichols to get that premium brand association. Um, we went to an Ocado supplier day a month ago and that went really well so doing all the supplier paperwork for them at the moment um and we're doing loads and loads of events us brits we love food and drink festivals music festivals so that's where we're selling at the moment well it sounds amazing i think we should go have some right now yeah let's do it all right yeah thanks so much to rose for her time and like a swift she flew back home to the cotswolds but left a few Silver Swifts behind for me to share. Of course, Silver Swift is already a perfect ready-to-drink cocktail. But Rose recommends a few ways to make the cocktails even better, and all you need is some water and fruit. So that's what we're calling our Cocktail of the Week this week. For our Cocktails of the Week, we have some recommended serves for our Silver Swift Spirited Spritzers. For the Wild Rose Gin, fill your ice tray with water and add a couple of raspberries, a slice of lemon, and a couple of mint leaves before freezing. Then when they're frozen, pop them in the glass before pouring. For the Tipsy Iced Tea Vodka, fill your ice tray with water and add a slice of orange and some orange zest, or a slice of lemon and lemon zest before freezing. Then pop those in the glass before serving. Last but not least, for the Basil Blush Vodka. Fill your ice tray with water and add some strawberries and a basil leaf before freezing. Like the ones before, pop those in the glass and pour. We recommend the large ice sphere molds as the larger the ice, the longer it takes to melt and they look awesome. You'll find these serves and all the cocktails of the week on alushlifemanual.com where you'll also find all the ingredients in our shop. Don't despair. We're going on holiday a little early, but we'll be back on September 4th with Season 3 of Lush Life Podcast. The fun begins with Stephanie Jordan, the brand ambassador of La Chachera Rum, and will continue with Luca Mazzaglia of Italicus and so many others. Next season is full of surprises, from Savoy Mont Blanc to Kentucky to Armagnac to Costa Brava, Spain, to other parts unknown. Things will be happening on alushlifemanual.com, so check out the site and also our Instagram to see what we're drinking and where we're drinking it. Until next time, bottoms up. See you in the fall. Thanks for listening to the Lush Life Podcast, the sister of A Lush Life Manual. For more information and links to everything you heard, Plus a bit more, please visit alushlifemanual.com. Always remember the wise words of Oscar Wilde, all things in moderation, including moderation. And always drink responsibly. Okay, I said that last part. Theme music is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. Lush Life is produced by Evo Terra. 
and I'm your hostess, Susan Schwartz. I'll see you at the bar.